You are listening to Gone But Never Forgotten. Our topics can include, but are not limited to, murder, sexual assault, graphic and gruesome details, and more. These topics are adult in nature and are not meant for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. This week's episode is sponsored in part by Creations from the Heart. Donna is a metalsmith who specializes in saw-pierced pieces, jewelry and decorative pieces, and saw-pierced nature scenes on stones. She does amazing work and is able to design and create whatever you can put your mind to, and as such is very open to custom orders. I can personally vouch for her work as she has designed a dragon pendant piece for my chain and also created a new wedding ring for me. Her work is professional, the turnaround is quick, and I cannot stress enough how creative and high quality her work is. I also have one of Donna's Tree of Life pendants and absolutely adore her work. You can purchase Donna's work directly or request custom work by searching Creations from the Heart on Etsy, Facebook, or Instagram. I cannot stress enough that the heart in all of her sites is H-A-R-T. Next time you're looking for a -a one-of-a-kind gift for yourself or someone that you love and want professional quality without the boutique price, get in touch with Creations from the Heart and you will not be disappointed. Are you finding everyday life boring? Finding work becoming stressful? Are you looking for something to distract yourself? And maybe learn something while getting distracted. Try tuning in to We're Distractions podcast, a weekly podcast hosted by me, Alex Underbaki, And me, Christy McCann, where we rotate between true crime, conspiracy theories, paranormal stories, folklore, and more. All things that most people would consider weird. Which is what we're all about. You can stream We're Distractions podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you need a distraction, we got you. Michaela Bali was a 16-year-old who had been living in Yorkton, Saskatchewan, Canada with her mom, her aunt, her maternal grandmother, and two younger siblings. April 12th of 2016 was a very busy day for young Michaela, and on this episode we will lay out everything that she did, everywhere that she was seen, and then talk about what could have possibly happened to Michaela and some of the theories that abound. Now, nearly six years later, her family and friends are left wondering what's happened to Michaela and where she may be today. Hello, and welcome to episode 22 of Gone But Never Forgotten, The Disappearance of Michaela Bali. Hello everyone, and welcome to Gone But Never Forgotten. 
This week, we return to our roots a little bit and bring you a heartbreaking story of a missing person case. Michaela Bali was a 16-year-old in 2016 when she went missing, and to this day, even though there have been a plethora of tips over the years from across the country, she has not been heard from or seen since. Michaela's family have never given up hope, and they continue to listen to tips and look for Michaela in every way possible, believing that Michaela is out there somewhere, and there is still a chance that she could one day return home. That is why we are covering this story here today. We also believe that there seems to be a relatively high probability that Michaela is still out there and alive and well, even after all of the time that has passed. So we come alongside everyone involved as just another voice that is looking to find and bring Michaela Bali home, or at the very least, get her in touch with her family so they can know that she is safe. Who was Michaela Bali? Michaela Margaret Kim Niebergall was born on July 2nd, 1999 in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. It should be noted that her last name was legally changed just months prior to her disappearance to Bali. Michaela's mom is Paula Marie Bali, and the situation with her father seems to be a little more complicated. Some podcasts and reports have listed a man, Rick Breit, as the father of Michaela, and it seems as though that might be the case. But we were unable to find anything that showed that Rick was 100% the father of Michaela, and it also appears that Paula has not commented on that. However, it should be said that Rick appears to be very active to this day in spreading the word and trying to find Michaela. So whether he is conclusively the father or not, he seems to be someone that is trying to do good by Michaela. Michaela was living in Yorkton with her mom, her aunt, her maternal grandmother, and her younger brother and sister. Her paternal grandfather had also been living with them, but had sadly passed away about a month before Michaela would disappear. Everyone that spoke about Michaela said that she was a very sweet girl who always looked out for her friends and did her best to help them and provide them with anything that they needed. Her mom described her as a relatively quiet, reserved, and shy girl. At the time of her disappearance, she was attending high school at Sacred Heart High School in Yorkton, Saskatchewan, Canada, where she was a member of the school drama club. She also enjoyed playing the violin. Her mom also said that she believes that Michaela was not a child that was at risk of suicide or running away. She does note, though, that Michaela was bullied at times because of her acne at school. Mom, though, believed that Michaela was just starting to come into her own and figure out who she was and hit her stride around the time of her disappearance. She honestly sounds like a very artsy and intelligent young lady. Kids can be so cruel, and I think that most of us understand also how badly bullying can affect someone. Absolutely. We all just need to learn how to be better to one another, but that's something that I can preach forever. Even the day that Michaela disappeared seemed to be relatively normal to those around her. Paula said that she remembers the morning well, and of course you would. Paula remembers being in the bathroom together, 
chatting about their days and doing their makeup, just like any other day. Music was on in the background, and the entire situation seemed normal and as though nothing was amiss. Michaela's grandmother would then drive Paula and Michaela to work and school, respectively. Paula was dropped off first around 8.20 a.m., and then Michaela was dropped off at school immediately afterwards. However, when her grandma arrived after school to pick Michaela up, she was not waiting for her. Her grandmother went into the school, and that's when things started to unravel relatively quickly. She would learn from teachers and friends that they had not seen Michaela for most of the day. Michaela's grandmother would then quickly drive to Paula's office to let her know that Michaela had been missing from school. Obviously, the facts that we are about to share with you came in over time and were not available immediately to the family or the police. But for the sake of her timeline in our podcast, we are now going to lay out the way in which the day went for Michaela after her grandmother dropped her off at the school, as best as it can be pieced together anyways. Shortly after 8.20 a.m., Michaela was dropped off at Sacred Heart High School, but then mere minutes later she would leave the school out a different door. This was between 8.25 and 8.30 a.m. She was next picked up by CCTV walking southeast away from the school on the railway tracks. That walk would seemingly be towards Terry's Pawn and Bargain, a pawn shop in Yorkton. The owner of Terry's would tell police that between 8.40 and 8.50, Michaela was in his store. The owner said that Michaela had been there attempting to pawn off a silver ring that she had. The owner said that he did not end up making an offer on the ring because it was deemed to have been too low in value. Michaela would leave the store and head west towards TD Bank. We should mention that the day before Michaela disappeared, she had asked a friend if they would be able to give her a ride to this TD Bank location on the morning of April 12th. Michaela would stop in at the TD located at 63 Broadway Street East between 8.50 and 8.55 a.m. and would withdraw $55 from her bank account. From there, she would leave the bank and head west to Tim Hortons at 160 Broadway Street East. She would enter the Tim Hortons there and stay for about 15 minutes from 9 a.m. to 9.15. She would order a drink and sit in a booth with a backpack beside her, looking nervously out the windows and at the door of the restaurant. One of her friends later noted that it was strange and out of character for Michaela to have a backpack with her. She usually just had a purse that she brought to school with her instead of a backpack. From there, Michaela would leave the Tim Hortons and head northbound on 8th Avenue North. She would then walk west on Broadway Street East and then would go north on 6th Avenue North. Then she would turn around and head east again along the same stretch of Broadway Street East between Canadian Superstore and Giant Tiger. Then she would re-enter the same Tim Hortons around 9.50 a.m., at 160 Broadway Street East, and she would remain there for nearly an hour. When she walked in the door, she appeared to be on the phone with someone, although that person has never been named. She sat alone at a booth that was facing the door. While in the restaurant, she would text her friend Shelby saying, Hey, I need help. But shortly thereafter, she texted a second time and said, Never mind, 
I figured it out. Unfortunately, Shelby did not see the text at the time as her phone was left at home and she was at school. Michaela then is seen approaching a woman that is at the restaurant around 10.40 a.m. and she asks the woman if she would be willing to rent a hotel room for her because she could not do so for herself because of her age. The woman refused to rent the hotel for her and Michaela then makes a new phone call and walks out of the restaurant around 10.45 a.m. Michaela then would walk around the area a little bit and then disappear from all CCTV from about 10.50 until 11.55. Just before noon, Michaela shows up again at school and she is seen entering Sacred Heart and then quickly leaving about five minutes later. While at the school, she met up with a couple of her friends and told them that she was taking a bus to Regina. Her friends, when being spoken to, noted that they believed that she was carrying two phones on her when she was at the school this time. Friends have said that Michaela had a penchant for using different apps to meet and talk to people, sometimes anonymously, and that could explain partially why it has never been discovered who she was talking to, when she was seen on the phone on the CCTV. Friends also said that she had made friends with people outside of Yorkton at times, including one friend from the United States. Michaela left the school around 12.02 p.m. and went to a bus stop to seemingly see what time the bus to Regina would leave. She found out that the bus would leave at 5 p.m. She then left that bus depot and entered the STC bus depot, where there was a trail stop restaurant on the premises. There was not any video footage of her inside the bus depot, but she was seen leaving the bus depot at some point between 1 and 1.45 p.m., and that would be the last time that she would be seen. Michaela would not be seen or heard from after this. She was reported as missing to the police that evening, and her cell phone had lost all charge by 7 a.m. the following morning. It is believed that even though Michaela had some money on her and she seemingly knew where she wanted to go and when the bus would leave, she did not purchase a bus ticket. It is completely unknown where she went, who she may have talked to, and what she was doing after she left the STC bus depot. Obviously, investigations into anything and everything took place after Michaela disappeared. Friends would say that the day before her disappearance, over lunch, Michaela was talking about leaving, and in recent times prior to her disappearance, she had mentioned a couple of different guys that she had been talking to and various places that she wanted to go, namely Moose Jaw, Prince Albert, Saskatoon, and Regina. Immediately, police started questioning and talking to anyone and everyone gathering CCTV footage, and even creating a timeline of Michaela's steps along the wall at the precinct. The police started tracking phone numbers and bank accounts immediately, hoping that they would be alerted of where Michaela was if she used either one. Sadly, that would not be the case, and as days went by, police started to really be concerned for Michaela's well-being when there was nothing to track. Police were also concerned right off the bat because in a city like Yorkton, with only about 16,000 people, when there was a runaway, generally the name of the teen in trouble would be known to police. 
Michaela Bali, on the other hand, was a name that nobody recognized. The Friday after Michaela disappeared, a call came in that a blonde girl was seen at the bus depot running away from her boyfriend, and it was believed and hoped that the blonde girl would be Michaela. Heartbreak set in once again when it wasn't Michaela at the bus depot. After three weeks, her case was handed over to the General Investigation Section, or GIS, which is a unit that investigates only major offenses. Officers spent hundreds of hours trying to track Michaela on camera footage and trying to piece even more together. Unfortunately, even though Michaela was seen many times on her phone, nothing was tracked or traced through her cell phone provider because it is believed that, as mentioned before, Michaela was using apps to communicate. Her friends said that that included Instagram, Snapchat, and Kik. For those of you who may not be aware of Kik, it's an anonymous app that is used for texting and calling. Police in Canada have warned parents often that Kik is used by predators who will build up relationships and groom younger people for kidnapping or worse. The app does not have any features that require a user to prove who they are, and as such, it's frequently used in situations like this. It can be incredibly difficult to go through any social media or other apps because they're run in the United States, which requires a lot of work for Canadian authorities, and also because many of these sites actually don't save any of the data or the chats, or if they do, they're not held for an exceedingly long period of time. Police would eventually make contact with the Christopher that was mentioned by Michaela's friends. He was from the U.S., He was questioned and his house was searched, but there was no evidence to connect him to her disappearance. It was believed by Michaela's ex-boyfriend that Christopher was visiting a relative in Saskatchewan and that is why he was going to meet up with Michaela. Friends would also mention another name, Josh, to police that they believed Michaela was in contact with. They eventually located a Josh from the town of Churchbridge, who told police that he had known Michaela and had met her at a youth group previously, and they had been talking, but again, police didn't turn up any information that they believed would connect Josh and Michaela's disappearance. Hello, and welcome to Cause of Death. My name is Jackie Moranti. I've been studying infectious disease for 14 years in various research settings. I have a Bachelor's of Science from Colorado State University in Microbiology, Immunology, and Virology. I've worked with diseases like tuberculosis, SARS-1, and SARS-CoV-2, better known as COVID-19, and I've worked with EHV-1. It's my feeling that if we look back at the pandemics of the past, we may be able to better handle the pandemics of the future. The problem is, we have to learn our lessons first. Come along with me while I tell you about the pandemics, the epidemics, and the outbreaks, and how we never seem to learn our lesson. The only other person that came up relatively quickly in the search was a man that was captured on CCTV with her. Word spread that the police were looking for a man who had a flaming cross tattoo on his arm. It set off red flags because in a small place such as Yorkton, it was strange that police, nor anyone, seemed to know who this man was with such a distinct tattoo. The man would eventually be found, questioned, and cleared. 
He was not known to Michaela and was not with her, so to speak. It is believed that he was in fact only holding the door for her as she exited. He was a person of interest for a very long time before he was found and cleared. Unfortunately, beyond these people of interest, the case started to go cold very quickly as everything seemingly was turning into a dead end. In October of 2016, there were reports that Michaela had been seen in Vancouver, British Columbia. Her mom quickly jumped at that and traveled there and hung posters showing her missing daughter. Other sightings would come in shortly after that, saying that she was seen in Burnaby, B.C., as well as Portland, Oregon, and Seattle, Washington. Obviously, and sadly, nothing would come out of those believed sightings. In 2017, a lake and sections of woods around Yorkton and around Michaela's high school were searched for evidence, but there was no new evidence found. To this day, Michaela's family, especially her mom, have never given up hope and have never stopped looking for her. Paula has taken a lot of unpaid time off work and reportedly spent in excess of $45,000 looking for Michaela. Paula has looked in every major city in Saskatchewan many times, and it is reported that police have followed up on over 600 tips in the five years since Michaela's disappearance. In August of 2019, Paula received a call from a man in Edmonton, Alberta. He told Paula that he believed he had had an encounter with Michaela outside of the High Run Club, a club in Edmonton, in March of 2019. When he later came across a social media post about Michaela and her disappearance, he believed that the woman he had spoke to fit her description and also acted in ways that fit the descriptions that were out in the public about Michaela. Paula passed that tip immediately along to the RCMP, like she does with any tips that she received on her own. And even though there have been numerous tips since of sightings of her in Alberta, none have yet proven to be the one that brings closure to this case. Finally, in 2020, reports started to arise that Michaela had been seen in Penticton, B.C., panhandling. Many emails were received, and again hope was sprung anew for Paula and the thousands of people that have had any part in this case and disappearance. Paula reached out immediately to police in Penticton, and unfortunately again, this was a dead end. The police located the person that many believed to have been Michaela, and it was not her. It is absolutely heartbreaking. I cannot possibly comprehend the feeling of having your child just literally disappear. It is crazy that she could be tracked as much as she was on that day, and then just suddenly she was gone. Just like that. Yeah, for many people, these are just stories, and you simply pray that something like this never happens to you, or anyone that you know, or anyone in general for that matter. It takes your breath away. All you can do is think about this poor mom, this poor family, and of course this poor girl who's disappeared without a trace. Yes, I just hope that if you're out there listening as Michaela or anyone who knows what happened to her, that you would make the decision to let someone know. Sadly, as we record this episode, Michaela Bali has still not been located. There are many different theories around her disappearance, of course, and most of them are familiar to any of us who truly follow true crime. 
The first theory, of course, is that Michaela wanted to get away and start a new life. This theory has long been fed by people online, some of whom claim to have been friends with Michaela, and some of whom are just those in the internet sleuth world. It has been said that Michaela was not the quiet, calm girl that had been portrayed within the media since her disappearance, and that there was a darker, much more depressed side of Michaela, including suicidal thoughts, use of drugs, and things of that nature. None of that has ever been confirmed, and again, we will stress that this is just a theory. Others have said that Michaela may have wanted to get away because her mom was very religious and that she may have just wanted to have a chance at living her own life in her own way. This could have led to her running away or perhaps to someone taking advantage of her desire to escape for their own purposes. We also want to mention that Paula has long said that she doesn't believe that Michaela ran away. She believes that if Michaela was planning to run away, she would have taken many things from the house that were not taken. Things like her medication, and as mentioned earlier, even a reserve fund of money that was at the house. Paula believes that if Michaela was indeed planning to run away and not come back, there were definitely things that she would have taken with her. The second theory that we'll mention is human trafficking. We talked about the fact that Michaela was using apps to communicate with people anonymously, and of course that can lead to dicey situations when people meet up that really may not know any of the truths about one another. There are any number of things that could have been presented to Michaela if she had expressed a desire to escape from her life for a short or long period of time. Things like a job, a place to live, or even just money could have potentially led her into a bad situation. The world that we live in can be so scary at times, and I even think back to talking to people on different apps and social media and just think how lucky I am that I never got in a situation like this. People can be so convincing. These people really are just professional creeps. It's true. They seem to know exactly the profile of person that they're looking to prey on, and they know exactly how to meet, befriend, and then trap them. I can only hope and pray that Michaela didn't come to an untimely demise like this and that she is out there somewhere. We should mention, at the time of her disappearance, Michaela Bali was Caucasian. She was 5 feet 2 inches tall and 114 pounds. She had blonde hair and blue eyes, but was known to frequently change her appearance, especially regarding her hair. When she was last seen, she was wearing teal glasses, a maroon or plum colored jacket, a teal scarf, dark blue skinny jeans with a sparkle or white design on the back pockets, and brown ankle length boots. She also was, as mentioned, carrying a dark plaid backpack. Michaela has a scar on her left hand, two on her forehead from chicken pox, and several on one of her upper thighs from self-harm. She has a birthmark on the right side of her jaw, and a mole on the right side of her chin. She would be 22 years old today. We should also mention that on the poster for this episode and on our socials, we will share photos of what she looked like when she went missing, as well as age-progressed photos that were provided by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Michaela, <clears throat> if you're out there and you're listening to this, 
please get in touch with someone. No matter what happened to you or what reasons you had to leave, one thing is for sure. You have left behind a family who loves you, wants to find you, or at least the very least wants to know that you're alive and well. And if you're out there listening to this and you happen to know something regarding what happened to her or anything that could be a tip, and I must say no tip is too small, please call either Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477 or you can call or text Paula at 306-641-9436. Paula can also be emailed at miraclemichaela at gmail.com. You can also call the RCMP directly at one 844 880 6518 and quote case number 2016430186. If you would like to help us gain renewed exposure for this case to try and help bring some closure, please also use hashtag Let's Bring Michaela Bali Home on social media. There is a $40,000 reward for the safe return of Michaela, and of course, conditions apply. In closing, to sum up how much of a mystery this one is, I want to quote Sergeant Rob Nicholas from the May 6, 2016 Leader Post in Regina when he said that this case is a weird one. Quote, We're not sure. We just don't know. There's no evidence to support foul play, and there's no evidence to support just a runaway. Unquote. Remember, Michaela Bali is a daughter, a sister, a grandchild, a niece, a friend, and a beautiful young woman whose story needs some closure. We hope and pray that the closure ends with a beautiful reunification with her family, but we know that that is not always the case. Closure can come in many forms, and as always, there are people who deserve to know the truth, whatever the truth is. Living with just the knowledge that Michaela was dropped off for school one day and then just gone is heartbreaking on so many levels. So what are you thinking on this case, Julie, with the facts that were presented? I don't know. I agree with the sergeant. Like, there's not enough evidence to go one way, but then there's enough to make you think a whole bunch of things. You know, like you can go any way with this. And so I don't even know where I stand right now. I'm just very confused and I, I, I don't even know what to think, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, I was thinking too when I was like, uh, researching this case it's it's interesting as someone who just I guess I'll say I live a normal life and I just do normal things well, mm-hmm. whatever your your definition of normal somewhat is. normal <laughs> <laughs> um you know you don't think about the fact that everything you're doing is documented on camera you yeah know? Like mostly I, yeah I think about like this and other cases and just think about like yeah like if I went missing or you went missing like they would track you like this. It's kind of crazy. But like what's crazy about this case is it's like they see her everywhere. They see her everywhere. They see her everywhere. And then she's just gone. Yeah. Well, and that's what kind of makes me be a little bit suspicious that there must have been some sort of foul play. Because I don't think a 16-year-old could just run away and know where all the cameras were or this and that. Like, it, I feel like if something happened to her then the person might have known like to go in these certain areas because there's no cameras there. 
Maybe. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's a theory. That's just a theory. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. It, you know, you, nobody knows what happened here. No. So hopefully um, something will happen and we'll get a little bit of information and bring some closure to the family. Yeah, for sure. So before we end, I want to bring up the fact that on a lighter note that we have stuff. We New do stuff. have stuff. Yeah. We, what'd you get in the mail today, Julie? I got the first ever GBNF Gone But Never Forgotten t-shirt. Yeah, you did. The first piece of merch ever. Terrible quality, isn't it? No, it's awesome. Like, it's so soft. The print is awesome. It's all, like, it's so perfect. Yeah, like, I honestly, I've made shirts for different things before. Um, and the quality that we have on this merch is amazing. Yeah. We decided to be the guinea pigs and buy Julie the first one so she could see it and, you know, also be the OG. Yep. And I will definitely be posting that on social media at some point once I put it on because I just washed it. So, yeah. But yeah, like I'll definitely be posting. You guys can see. And it's also uh, the sizing is awesome. It's very accurate. Yeah, so for sure, check out our social medias. Check all that stuff out. We'll have links so that you can go direct to it. Um, if you want to support us, there's t-shirts, hoodies, uh, pins, mugs, stickers, tote bags. There's all kinds of stuff. So, yep. I mean, go check it out. You can find uh, find the store on tpublic.com. Just look up GBNF True Crime Store. Like I said, we have the links on all of our socials and on our link tree. So check it out there. And I would be remiss if I didn't say again, thank you to our patrons and our donators through PayPal um, who have helped out with the show. Uh, of course, look us up on Patreon. Uh, we also do have PayPal set up with the account. If you like what you hear, please help us out. Uh, we want to keep doing this, and I'm really working towards being able to do a weekly episode instead of bi-weekly. So, spoiler alert, that's what we're working on. Absolutely. And just thank you guys so much because the show keeps getting better and better because of you. So I think that the best way to end this episode is with that hashtag. So until next time, thank you for listening to Gone But Never Forgotten and let's bring Michaela Bali home.